This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and this is the third of three podcasts. The first podcast we talked about, we sort of disputed sort of this idea that 1,200 calories um, is something that enough people aren't doing that it's almost disputed by a lot of people on the internet. And so I think that that's a really good one. And the second one was really more about why diet adherence is so important and why it's very important for programs to get that right so that it's not the fault of the client. So I'm sitting here with Dr. Susan Kleiner. You can um, find her stuff at drsusankleiner.com. I'm Paul Nobles, co-founder of Eat Perform. And uh, you can find us at www.eatperform or Facebook or Instagram. Okay, so I ended the last podcast saying that I was going to mention this. This is very important because it was a very important time within Eat to Perform. We were very much in the idea. We, we, had at, we had made the decision that we didn't want to go down the dieting light path, right? Where you're, you're doing some level of machine learning or AI or, or things of this nature. I didn't feel like we would get there. And I didn't actually feel like that was addressing the real problem. You know, I felt like the real problem was the conversations that clients have with coaches that allow them to get over mental hurdles and sometimes physical hurdles, right? Um, but what we were seeing was that there was a point that was not optional. And we reversed course because what would happen is, and, and, the, and the thing that we put in place actually changed a lot of people's lives and as a result. But the first decision that we made was that you have to get here in terms of calories, right? And then you have to be there a certain amount of time. Because what would happen is the coach would be almost like too close to the situation, right? And then they would be a little bit more reactive and they would allow people to run these deficits, right? And, and if you're listening to this and you've ever done any type of program, it's very common in the diet world for this to happen, right? And then you sort of flounder and then don't get results long-term, right? And so we had a great idea. You know, we were definitely reversing people and, and things of this nature, but we said, no, this isn't enough. You know, and it was at that point, there was, there was people within the forum that left, right? And they were like, I, I just, you know, maybe they thought that we were questioning their authority or, or something of this nature. But what was happening was is that coaches were almost too close to the situation where it was just better to have someone checking their math, right? And if you're a current eat to perform client, you know this as the adjustment team. Right. What the adjustment team is doing is making sure that you are 
getting what you need and what you bought from us, right? We're very clear about that every single day, you know? But when we get to the details and, you know, you've lost a X amount of weight and you've gone through fat loss one and then adaptation prevention and then fat loss two and removing you to performance recomp. Now, all of a sudden your weight fluctuates like two to three pounds because you went to a barbecue or something of this nature. I don't know that we were necessarily pulling calories down at that point either, right? But that's a moment that requires coaching, not action. Right. And there's a difference, right? right? And the problem was, is we were acting too much. Mm -hmm. And you could argue that maybe there weren't proper parameters set. And I would, I would say that that argument is actually correct. You know, once we really started to systemize that and analyze our system and go, why are we continuing to have these same issues? And what was happening was, is I don't think we were making a compelling case for why it needs to work this way. Right. We were only occasionally putting it out there. Right. This is why, you know, you see such a drive from me and why it's so important to have more food. It's not because Paul wants you to eat more. It's because that's the way your body wants to work. And oh, by the way, just go into it. So so if you're like a casual fan of eating form and you're listening to this. You can see it in the, the, the pictures that we put out or, or the transformation that we, we've been able to, to kind of achieve. But if you're in the members group, the members group is next level. Like if you're debating on whether or not, you know, you want to join Eden Forum, this is one of the, the most things underplayed in the history of Eat to Perform because there is so much support within the group. But the thing that's most important is, let's say that you just signed up yesterday, you're going to see four to five people every single day going, yep, this is what I look like after fat loss one. And this is what I look like after fat loss two. So all the fears that you have you actually get to see a visible example of success. Now, what you'll often see with a lot of programs is before and afters. And before and afters are great. We use before and afters. But what you see in Ethan Reform, which is very interesting, and I think it really separates us from the pack, is the after the after. And then the after the after the after the after, right? We now have 10 years of how this worked, right? Even when we had to make this adjustment and, and change some parameters so that we could get better, there was still a large group of people doing it where they were taking large diet breaks and where they were really pushing the intake. And in fact, you know, there was a period of Eat to Perform where it was common, you know, for you know, a good percentage of our database, you know, to, for females eating 450 grams of carbs, right? Um, and, and not 
ultra marathoners, not not extreme athletes, really just weightlifting in the gym and kind of doing that kind of thing. I will say we sort of changed our mind on that a little bit too. That's what this podcast is for, by the way. You know, the, I want this podcast to go, yeah, we changed our mind about that, you know, because there's too little of that happening right now. There's too, you know, the same, the, the, the people that were disputing calories, you know, 10 years ago are still disputing calories today, right? And there's this, everybody's scared to say that they were wrong about something, right? And I come from a mindset of you only get better failing, right? Now, that doesn't mean that the core and the foundation isn't workable, right? But when you look at an elite athlete compared to, let's say, some guy that just kills it at, at pickup ball, right? The elite athlete refines their process and filters many times to get to the place that they got compared to that person. Right. Well, you know, if you were doing today the same thing that you were doing a decade ago, either a decade ago, you could read a crystal ball and predict where the science was going to go over a period of 10 years. And so you're amazing that you're current today from what you were doing 10 years ago, or you're way behind the times and you're just doing old science. I mean, the nature of science is learning and changing and adjusting. And sometimes we go in a, sometimes we go down dead ends, right? That does happen. We go down dead ends. We think we're going in the right direction. And all of a sudden, some major study, something shows that this is a flawed theory. And we stop and we shift directions. But most of the time, it's kind of a zigzag course. And we continue to evolve our understanding. That's why we don't think the world is flat today. I mean, except for those people who do, but they're clearly in living in, they're just living in the dark ages. And so, so we do continue to change. We do recognize that a decade or, you know, I've been in the business for nearly 40 years. If I had everything right 40 years ago, I could put a genie's cap on. I mean, it would be, you know, you know, call me Merlin, but, but we, we do change my books and my, um, you know, strategies that I started with 40 years ago have evolved a very long way. That's the kind of program you want to, to get onto, the program that is evidence-based, that does evolve and change. Yeah, so specifically speaking to that, we talked about, you know, the people that were at 450. So sometimes you can get away with something and it's still not that great of an idea, right? right. So we right. were seeing people that were weight stable that, you know, like I said, females up to 4,000 calories. But is their goal to be 4,000 calories or is their goal to perform better or, you know, get to this place where body composition wise, they're seeing the results from the gym. And what we kind of found was 
is that, well, one, the one thing that really did not go over well was when they would get to a deficit, right? Because what would happen when we moved to a deficit almost always is they kind of landed roughly the same place as all the other people, right? So if you have somebody, let's say that we're eating, was eating 2,400 calories and then they moved to a deficit, but you were eating 4,000 calories, what they wanted to do was eat 4,000 calories, take off 500 calories, right? And then lose a pound a week. And the body just adjusted so fast to that, right? That it kind of looks almost the same. Now, the, the runway is slightly more, but like if I told you that, well, yeah, you would get to lose three more pounds than the person that was eating 2,600, right? And then you don't have to eat like it's your job and stuff like this. That, that's where we sort of figured things out. Now, we still, have, we still have some people with some super high macros, but more often than not, those super high macros correspond with a super amount of, of effort Great. in Exercise. the gym. And so, so that, that was also a really big change, right? And um, it, was, it was very difficult to make that, that move with people, but we added one thing and I think that one thing really helped a lot. And once again, it, it was just changing the parameters of what our program was going to be, right? And that one thing was that we were going to be proactive as it relates to the client's goals, right? And so it's very common within each reform for someone to come out of fat loss and then a coach to say, all right, around January 1st, we're going to reevaluate this to see when or if we need to do another fat loss cycle. Hopefully we don't, right? Hopefully everything's good and we're weight stable and you're seeing muscle gains in the mirror and stuff like that. We want to have like these check-ins and, and kind of, um, you know, pit stops along the way. So that I think, I think from the client standpoint, if you're a current client, you, you kind of like that, right? You kind of go, yeah, I, I like the fact that I get these check-ins. You know, you could actually, uh, three to four, and people get like two check-ins a day and they can talk to their coach anytime they want, you know? And that that is very different than if you're buying a PDF, right, for X amount of dollars. And it's like, PDF, what do I need to do in this situation? It's like PDF doesn't know, you know? Um, so Susan had a story that I think is also really kind of interesting. and then. I have one other story and then we'll, we'll kind of shut it down for the day. So there's, you know, this idea of, of where is the problem when a program goes sideways? And, you know, as, as we talked in the previous podcast, the easiest thing for the coach to say is, you're, it's your fault. You're, you know, as the client, it's the client's fault you're doing, you know, clearly something has changed. The coach didn't do it, but being the detective and trying to figure out what changed is really important as well as trusting what the client is telling you. And so I had a wonderful client. She um, had gotten into uh, competitive Olympic weightlifting in her late 50s 
prior to that and during the whole time, she was uh, uh, the first female director at Deloitte and Touche. So a very large financial firm, um, uh, world-renowned company. She, she broke the glass ceiling there. And so she had a very high level job. She did uh, quite a bit of travel uh, and, um, and she had been overweight for much of her life. She through, you know, long story short, she started lifting in her about mid to late fifties. Her trainer was a competitive strongman, and he actually turned her on to Olympic weightlifting. And he said, if you want, you know, or if she, she became interested in competing, he said, you need to drop some weight. She had 60 pounds uh, to get to the weight class where she was competitive. And he got her down 40 pounds and said, I don't know how to get you the next 20. We, you need to go to Dr. Kleiner. So anyway, she came to me or found me on the internet, whatever. And we worked together. She was highly motivated. She lost the, the 20 pounds and went on to win a national comp master's level competition and go to her first gold medal world competition. As time, she was very rigorous with her diet. Most of the time she knew how much she could go up so that she could get down during competitive season. She changed jobs and went from Deloitte and Touche to Expedia.com uh, as an executive there. And over a period of about three months, she put on, I think it was about seven pounds that we just could not account for. I trusted her that she was telling me she hadn't changed a thing with her diet. It would have been really easy to say, you must be, you know, seven pounds over three months. There's something that you're eating that's changed that you're unaware of. Uh, let's reduce your calories. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I said, let's dig in and figure this out. You're in a different work setting. What could be different? Well, after some really hard you know, counseling, figuring out what her days were and what had changed, when she was at her original job, she was walking up and down several flights of stairs several times a day to go to meetings. And so five days a week, this was going on. It wasn't a huge amount. It wasn't a lot that she recognized, but it was there. When she moved over to Expedia in this executive position, she had a corner office at the top of the building. She had a big office and all her meetings, everyone came to her. So that, when we did the calculations, absolutely accounted for the change in her calorie expenditure, her exercise quotient, and her diet had not changed. She had stuck exactly to her plan. And that was the difference, was walking up and down, I don't know, I think it was two to three flights of stairs, two to three times a day, five days a week. 
that was enough to account for a five to seven pound gain over three months. And so it's a really important thing to dig in, to be the detective, to try and help and figure out and not automatically say, you know, you must be eating something that you're unaware of, that you, you know, everything's become so automatic, you don't know something because, because, and that was, it was so exact when we figured that out. And it took yeah. a while because she didn't automatically say, oh, I know what it is. It's that I'm not doing these stairs every day. It really took walking through her days and what were they like and what had changed. So you all. see that you see that, you know, in our app where coaches are communicating with people and they're they're making these discoveries along the way. But what you're ultimately saying is that specifics matter, right? Yes, the and are so important, especially with people who have gotten pretty good at the plan. Yeah. And that, that's, you know, we talked about it at the end of the last podcast, but, you know, this idea that like 80% is fine, it, it's just allowing people to flounder and doesn't allow for the level of specifics that will allow them to maximize. Look, if you're going to undereat, what you definitely don't want to do is have to do it over and over and over again. You want to kind of get in, maximize and get out. Right. right. And that way you can go back to eating normal and kind of doing the things that you do. So there was another one. This will, will end the podcast on this and I, I'm going to try and stick to that. Um, so I have a client. I, I would say if I was to put a grade on all my clients, you know, she might be the best, right? Um, I don't have a huge client load. And actually, now I think of it, uh, <laughs> you know, she's so good that uh, she, I, she actually moved on to one of our other coaches as I focused a little bit more on business development, right? And so uh, what was interesting about her situation is that she's over 200 pounds. And I know that a lot of people, this is so, it's, it's so relevant to me right now. Um, men, as an example, over 250, you know, always feel like this barrier and then, you know, they'll get the 225 is the barrier and 200 is the barrier, right? We all have kind of these, these points, but, but it's that, it seems to be that 250 number and 200 for women, right? And she is 225. Um, she's been with us for, I want to say like six or seven years. Um, and she, she started with us at 260, I believe. Right. Now at any point, she knows what it takes to get to say 200. And I don't think that that would be particularly difficult. We run various fat loss cycles and, and things of this nature, some of those end up being more like cleanups and things of this nature. But when she goes to the doctor, she gets good readings. She is active. She sleeps well, right? 
And at some point, being under 200 might actually become a thing for her. But there's no real indicator that there's a health problem. Now, I'm going to throw out one caveat to that is it is inherently a little bit more stressful on the body, but the body also adapts, right? So one of the most underrated concepts, I think, in, in, in what we do is the idea that if you want to put on muscle, if you want to um, be stronger, be a little bit more capable, sometimes you do have to sit at a little bit higher weight, right, to allow your body to adapt right? And that's one of the more underrated concepts. It's a little bit more common to hear in the counseling to men world, not as common to women. But if you're a woman out there and you're 225 and you feel paralyzed because you've gone from diet to diet to diet, this idea that 225, 230-pound women have never dieted They've dieted all the time. They're dieting constantly, right? Um, we had a, a, another guy, this is kind of a similar, similar story, right? The guy, the guy was 310, I think he's 250 now. Um, and, you know, he's, he's currently in performance. And so he, his calories are higher. You know, he's on his way up to probably 4,000 calories at the moment. His friends and family are like, oh, my goodness, why wouldn't you keep going? He's like, well, the, my coach tells me that I shouldn't, right? <laughs> um, and that, that if I do this path, that I can actually go farther, right? And it's this idea that, you know, let's finish it all at once, right? That's actually causes people to quit in a lot of instances. And so that's why when I look back at, at the female client that I'm talking about, so proud of her, right? I'm so proud that she feels this level of comfort. You talked about this. I think this was in the last podcast. Um, but you talked about this, that sometimes the client's not ready, right? She knows she feels more comfortable eating more food, going to the gym, being active, and dealing with a stressful job, fed, mm -hmm. right? And if you didn't have the stigma, what could you be? Like one of the greatest lines I'd ever heard was, if you were, if you couldn't gain or lose a pound, what decision would you make? And so if you look at her, she lives her life with that idea, right? That if I did not gain or lose a pound, what decision would I make? And more often than not, she goes, I prefer to get eight hours sleep. I prefer to have over 2,500 calories so I could thrive throughout my day. I prefer to be able to go to the gym five days a week, right? That's the other thing. There's this idea. Now, I will say, I don't think in this instance, people would look at her in, in, a, in a judging way. She's an athletic looking person, right? Um, I do think that people often feel judged in that way, right? And, and let's be real that 
they're probably not wrong in every instance, you know, but societal's ideals change, right? Like if you, if you, if you, um, I, I mean, I hate to use this example. I almost don't want to use it, but Kim Kardashian, right? Had a body type that was different than the standard body type. It's one of the reasons why she's one of the more popular people on the planet because her body type's different, right? And now you're seeing this movement of like a, a great example is the artist Lizzo, right? So Lizzo's a, a bigger gal and, you know, she, um, I, I've seen workout videos, right? Things of this nature. She just likes being a bigger gal, right? And she gets to be that. And, you know, there's this idea, you know, I think we may have talked about this more on one of the re recent podcasts. I'm not a huge fan of like the whole fat acceptance movement of calling yourself fat so that you can accept being fat. I'm in a fan of acceptance movement. I think we should all have value in society, right? And that if we can all look at ourselves, like one of the big things for me is that when you're talking to a larger figure person, male or female, about weight all the time, rather than exercise, well, you're missing a huge component of what it's like to be healthy. You're focused so much on the one thing that actually is probably not as effective acutely. Like literally, wherever you are, you can walk out the door, walk to the end of the block, and immediately you've done something better for your health. Right. I mean, yeah, no, I, I just have to jump in here, Paul. It is so critically important to recognize the impact that exercise has on your brain, on your brain in a physical sense, on your brain in a chemical sense, for yourself, emotionally um, and, and cognitively. It is so critical that I don't, yes, I'm a sports nutritionist. And yes, the whole point of what I do is to help people eat to fuel their performance, their physical performance. I do get calls and from clients and I have, since the day I opened my door, I don't like to exercise. Can you help me lose weight? Well, it makes sense that I would say I'm a sports nutritionist. No, I, I don't do that. But it is also because, as you have talked about, certainly here in the US, we are experts at going on diets to go off diets. And so without exercise, you are ultimately destined to fail. You will go on to go off diets forever. There are the rare exceptions, but on, there's always exceptions to everything, um, but the but but the the main focus for me is that when you take someone who already feels negatively about themselves, they have dieted and failed in their minds over and over and over again. They're going to come to you and just quote fail again, 
But if you get them to start to exercise, even if it is, as you said, walking out your door and doing that a minimum of four times a week, going for a walk, by the time they come to you for a new nutrition plan, they are already a success in something they never dreamed they would ever be able to do. You have changed their self-esteem. You have changed the, their, their outlook about themselves. Their brain has changed. Their biochemistry has changed. They are now set up for success to change their nutrition. And so it is mandatory in my practice to be physically active. We, same here. The, um, if somebody says, you know, um, I'm not willing to, to do anything, obviously then we have a problem. But, you know, like I say to people, I was like, I started walking. Are you willing to walk? Right. And then more often, of course, I'm just saying weightlifting, you know, it's like, well, first of all, I didn't start weightlifting, you know, I found weightlifting later on in my life, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, but, you know, I just wanted to finish on the note that if you are a 225 pound woman and you've dieted, 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 and you're so frustrated because you can't seem to hit your goals. One, I want you to know that you can go on a diet break and feel healthy, be healthy, right? Especially if you're pursuing performance. But I also want you to know that part of the answer is what we talked about with this whole series of podcasts, right? Is that when you talk to clients with a lot of weight to lose, right? And that means different things for different people. But, but for this purpose, let's talk 50, 100, 150 pounds to lose. What you talk to them about is how many times they've dieted, mm-hmm. right? So many, they've been on. And, and the problem is, and, you know, I don't want to get into the study, but, but there was a study that talked about goals and why lean people are able to stay leaner than, than people with a lot of weight to lose. And what the study really went into is that the person that's 100 to 150 pounds is more likely to t- try the more extreme thing, right? And then because they tried the more extreme thing, you know, they wanna get to the finish line faster And so they fail almost quicker than the person that's actually willing to go a lot longer that has less weight to lose. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what happens is, and this is what, this is the, some of the parameters that we set when we were talking to my 310 pound male, first goal was 300 pounds. Right. Now you go, Oh, well, that's, that's realistic, Paul. I mean, wouldn't everybody want to be, but I mean, he has bigger goals. No, no, no. No, there is no goal within each reform that says 250, right? His first goal was 300. We focus on that goal, right? And then, you know, we go to 295. This is actually interesting. I'm pretty sure you don't know this. When a client hits their goal, they get food, right? Like even, even if you're in fat loss, 
right? If you're trying to lose weight, you get food in that scenario. Because what we didn't want to do was have you hit a goal and not get some kind of kudos for it. It's not a lot of food, but it's a positive thing, mm-hmm. right? And and now that often throw you off forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, right. Those those you know those forty calories or whatever. Um, the five goldfish, like we talked about. Okay, so I think we covered it. Uh, hopefully, everybody liked this series. I just, I just, I think, I think Susan covered it really well in the second podcast. Is that a lot of these programs? You know, look, dieting is simple. There's a high failure rate, right? We're cracking a lot of omelet or a lot of eggs to make make an omelet, right? The goal is to make more omelet. Right. And, you know, the first one we talked about why you can't stay at 1200 all the time. The second, we talked about diet adherence. If you can merge those two ideas, right, a lot of programs require 100 eggs to make a three egg omelet. Right. If I can make 21 omelets, right, I'm infinitely better. But what happens for a lot of people is actually the real secret is the the second part. And Susan alluded to it. That on Sunday, you were ready. And on Tuesday, you're not. Right. And so what happens is this is very common in the diet world. Is they will charge you. Six hundred dollars to work with someone good or a six month period or something of this nature. And there's really no way to get out of it. So now you're stuck, you've paid all this money, but you're really not ready, right? And so you end up failing while losing this money because you weren't really ready. That is also something we changed. We give people a very, this is actually, this is so important you can get in the, the price is basically, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of about $70 a month. Right. And more often than not, it's either like a four month program or a six week program. Right. So it kind of varies based on the situation and time. But in every scenario, if you made a mistake, it doesn't cost you a massive amount of money. Right. That is a feature and not a bug, right? Mm -hmm. The problem that most of these other programs have is that people quit so easily on them because they're not ready. What I'm saying is, is if you're not ready, it's not gonna cost you a small fortune. Mm -hmm. You can get out of it relatively easy. In fact, you can actually start as a free trial, see if it's a good fit. And if all of a sudden on Sunday, you kind of had this feeling, but by Tuesday, you realize this is not a good time. You can just hit the button in the app and say, yeah, not a good time. And we don't have any problem with it. But do you want to know what that does? It, ha- it makes us have to be better. It's not an option to only crack or only make one omelet out of 100 eggs, mm-hmm. right? When you charge people 
based on a lower rate recurring, what you're saying is I'm going to get you success. The system is correct, right? And so people go, I think people like that. I think I think it puts the the puts the power back into the hand of the client. Mm-hmm. And as a client, as someone that that went through a lot of failed dieting programs and things of this nature over the course of about 10 years, that bothered me. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to be in that business. So I'm right. not. Right. Yeah. And so so I, I think that's something that's kind of uh, you know, it's one of the inside thoughts that I haven't really said much in the outside, but I think if you're a client, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're debating whether Egypt forms a good fit or, or something else, are, are they trying to lock you in right for a large dollar amount for a very long period of time? And you barely know what they even do. Mm-hmm. Right. So keep that in mind. All right. You have a great weekend. Have a great month. We probably won't be talking for a little bit. My next, uh, my next time we'll be talking, I'll be right before I leave for California for a month. So, boy. All right. Talk to you later and have a great weekend. Bye now. You too, Paul. Bye.